Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Today, we have our young adults, as Pastor Krista said, bringing the message. And here's what I love about this. We've been working all week. We've been up here every night working on these messages, cheering each other on, crafting um, the word that God has laid on their heart. And here's what I love, is that we didn't fly some big wig preacher, some hotshot preacher, in to preach to you today. These are people who haven't gone to Bible school, who haven't done any of that. They've just been rooted and planted in this house, have been serving, sitting in the, the same seats, literally the same seats you sit in every Sunday, and all of a sudden they got tapped on the shoulder, and they're about to give the message. So really, honestly, you're kind of looking at yourself this morning when you're listening to them, and I think it's going to be really powerful. I've had a chance to hear uh, the words that they're going to bring, and I know they're going to bless you, and this is what I, I wanted to give this caveat right off the bat, okay? This is not like show and tell. This is not kind of an expose. This is not a contest, okay? This is not a gimmick, okay? Listen to me. This is the word of God. This is just as powerful as if it was coming from Pastor Brandon every Sunday, okay? It's the word of God coming to you through these uh, these unique individuals. And so right off the bat, to kick us off, I have none other than Cade Hinoosa. Come on, let's get loud and proud for Cade as he comes to preach to us today. Come on, shout him down. She, what's going on, Celebration Church? My name is Cade, and real quickly, I'm just gonna take us into Psalms 46, verses one through three. and says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And the thing I want to bring out from that today, this morning is, is that having faith in God leaves us unfazable. And so this morning, I want to be honest with you guys, because I feel like this is a safe place. <laughs> but if you go out to the parking lot right now, and you look at my car, you will notice that there is a baseball-sized dent in my license plate. And between you and me, I haven't been exactly honest about how it got there. So this morning, I'm going to be doing some repenting, all right? Look at my mom. She's already wondering, what did this boy do? All right, so about two years ago, I was driving, and I came to a red light, and I may or may not have gotten distracted, playing, my, playing with my phone, messing with the radio. The details don't matter. <laughs> when this happened, my foot ever so slightly slipped off the brake. And when this happened, I softly tapped the truck in front of me. Now, you have to realize that this was and has been my only accident involving another person since I've had my license, all right? So I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? Do I get out? Do I talk to the guy? Do I make a run for it? Because let's be honest, that was an option on the table, all right? I've played enough video games in my day to know how to outrun the fuzz, all right? Five stars don't mean nothing to me, okay? But alas, sorry, Brito. <laughs> but alas, I decided to get out and talk to him. But as soon as I decided, the light turned green and he takes off. So I drive after him. I follow him for a little bit until he turns into what was then community hospital. Now I'm freaking out even more. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I heard him. He's, I, I gave him whiplash, I broke his arm, something, I don't know. He's going to the ER, something's wrong. So I follow him, follow him in, and this guy finds himself a nice little parking spot at the back of the parking lot. I park next to him, I start digging for all my information and everything, 
And I look in my rearview mirror, and I notice that he's already walking towards the hospital. So I jump out, and I'm like, sir, sir, are you okay? I, I hit you back there. Are, are you okay? And this man turns around with the most dumbfounded look on his face, and he goes, you did? And I said, yes, sir, yeah, back there. And he looks at me, and he looks back at my car, and he looks back at me, and back at his truck, and he goes, you did? And I said, yes, sir. And he looks back at me, and he goes, oh, well, don't worry about it. I said, huh? He goes, don't worry about it. Probably did more damage to your car than you did mine anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he said, don't worry about it. So he turned around and he left. And I got in my car and I left with a dented license plate and an even bigger dented ego. But you see, the funny thing is, the funny thing is that I love that dent. Because to me, it's the perfect reminder of faith. More specifically, it's the perfect reminder of the faith that man had that day. Do you see, that man had so much faith in his truck that when I hit him, he was unfazed. He was unfazed. That man had so much faith in the one thing that was getting him from point A to point B that he was unbothered when the enemy started to attack him. And you see, that's the kind of faith we need to have when things start to unravel, when things don't seem to go as planned, when it seems like the enemy is throwing everything he has at us. We have to have more faith in the God that's promised us to get us through it than we have fear in the things that are trying to get us off the path God's placed us on. We gotta have faith that God's not just gonna throw us into a place or a season and just leave us there, but no, he's gonna walk through it with us, protecting us and sheltering us every single step of the way. And that the enemy can't hit us with everything he's got, but when God's in control, he's gonna leave more dented than we are. We have to have faith that God is our fortress. Just like it says later on in verse seven, this is the almighty God is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We have to have faith that God is our fortress, that he is who he says he is, He's gonna do what he's promised to do and we have to believe that he's gonna be our refuge through the storm. Though oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. We have to have faith that God is gonna protect us every single step of the way. My bottom line this morning is, is go through life having unfazable truck-sized faith. Thank you, Celebration. You're too kind. You're too kind, really. Um, if you don't already know me, and I'm in, my name is Josie Barton. Well, just thank you for being here, and I'm just really jazzed, so we're just going to get into it, all right? Um, so my self-worth, my self-love is something that I've struggled with pretty much my whole entire life up until recently. Um, I let people's thoughts and my own thoughts um, really get in the way of what I thought um, God thought about me. So we're just going to hop right into the word. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I'm going to say that again, my favorite part, so that we should be holy and blameless before him. All right. So what I hope sticks with you and what I really hope that you get out of this is that Jesus has called you so nothing can disqualify you. If you're taking notes, Jesus called you so nothing can disqualify you, all right? So my, like I said, self-love, self-worth, it's been a struggle for me. Um, it was really at its lowest around last year. It was really just um, 
just a, like a horrible, really horrible, horrible time in my life. I was in a really bad relationship. Um, y'all, I was just, I was just beat, 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 beat down. I just really thought that I wasn't worth anything. I really just believed that I was getting everything that I deserved. I really just believed that I wasn't capable of anything. I really believed that I just was the lowest of the low. That's how I felt. Um, I then believed, um, which is so crazy to me now to think about, I believed that I was such a burden and that I was just the lowest of the low, that I had just found the person that was going to put up with me. Nobody else. Nobody else could love me. Nobody else. Just this guy. He's able to put up with me, so I guess I have to stay. And obviously that wasn't true. Um, and y'all, it was just, it was just so, it was just so bad. I just can't, things I can't say over the microphone bad. And, you know, Jesus just really started working and he really started moving. And I didn't start finding my worth until I spent less time with the accusing voice and more time with the voice that built me up, more time with the voice that told me I was beautiful, more time with the voice that told me I wasn't ugly, more time with the voice that told me I was worthy of so much more. It was the voice of God if you didn't know. And it's the same voice of God that can tell you the same things, that can get you out of the stuff that you're going through, that's telling you that you're worthy. Same God, y'all. It's the same God. So, once again, you're not disqualified. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. I'm sure you just thought of a mistake you made, and that mistake that you just thought about doesn't disqualify you from love. It doesn't disqualify you from your calling. There's just nothing that you can do that God's going to say, just yank it. Nope, that calling's not for you anymore. He calls the disqualified, y'all. Y'all, I just want to encourage you to intentionally seek him. I want you to just give him what's holding you back from his love. I want you to give him what's holding you back from loving yourself. Because you need to believe in yourself, all right? And I really want to encourage you to talk to him. When you talk to him, when you believe in yourself and you have the God of created everything, who's going to post up to you? Who's going to want to who's going to want to stand against you? Nobody. So if you believe in yourself and you got God on your side, you can conquer the world. You really can. And talk to you. Yeah. I had a hard 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 time with that. You need to believe in yourself. You need to recognize what Jesus did and tell yourself that you're worthy and tell yourself that you're beautiful. Tell yourself I have this calling that God gave me and I'm going to do it. Right? All right, so because of Jesus, you have what it takes to fulfill your calling. You have what it takes. You have what it takes to fulfill this rest of the day. You have what it takes to fulfill the rest of the week. You have what it takes to fulfill the rest of the month. You have what it takes to fulfill the rest of the year. And I know someone needs to hear this. You have what it takes to fulfill the rest of your life. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his life to give you life, and you need to live it to the fullest potential. I love y'all so much. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Good morning, Celebration Church. How are y'all doing this morning? For those that don't know, 
My name is Osvaldo Martinez, or as it says right here, Oz Martinez. Better way to remember that is if you could think about that classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, you're set for life. I guarantee you that. Just think about that movie. Hey, is it okay if we go ahead and get started? Yeah? All right. Now, if y'all have them open or on your Bible apps or your Bibles, if you could uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It's taking me a little bit. All right. I'm going to be reading this out of the New Living Translation. And it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have already rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, the point of truth I want to give you all and want you all to leave here with today is that people only see in part, but God sees your heart. Are there any football fans, more in particular, high school football? Yeah. Come on now. You live in Texas. You should be. I was going to say that. All righty. So a uh, little side note. Uh, that feedback. Who? No one's. Okay. All right. Well, I know I got to make some adjustments. Nathan, I swear. I love you, man, but I swear. Um, anyways. Uh, yes. A um, little side note. Uh, I, uh, I'm a Central Bobcat, class of 2015. Yes, exactly. They were my people. So uh, not only that, I also played for the Central Bobcats. I was a part of the football team in the season of 2014 to 2015. And, um, well, I'm weighing at 215 pounds my junior year, and the coaches come up to me and tell me, like, hey, Oz, we know you're 215 pounds. We need you to uh, get stronger, get faster, and we need you to gain 15 to 20 pounds. I'm like, you got it, coach. Whatever you need, I'll do it. So, you know, the summer, summertime, you know, I got one week off. I, uh, it's 5.30 in the morning, crack open a couple of eggs, pour them down into a, a cup, and I drink it because I needed that raw protein. I know, the texture. Trust me, it was not the best feeling ever. But I had to do it. I needed, this, <laughs> I needed my protein. And... I go to, I'm in the gym, you know, I'm doing my thing, working out, you know, bench pressing 225, squatting 355 pounds. Weston, I love you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm chasing down the chickens because, as I saw in the Rocky films, that's what Silver Star Stallone did. You know, he was chasing chickens, you know, he was lifting his weights, you know, got stronger, and eventually became champion. Am I right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, I had my Rocky montage moment. Listen to Eye of the Tiger, you know, listen to all the soundtracks that Rocky, uh, the Rocky films had. And, you know, well, it's the end of the summer, beginning of the season, uh, 2014, you know, and I'm still weighing at 215 pounds, and I'm the starting center. And for those that understand football and know football, know that that is small for an offensive lineman that's about to go up against 285-pound boys, 300, 300 pounds. And, you know, so... In the season, you know, uh, end off on an 11-2 record, three rounds deep into the playoffs, first we've ever gone in a while, and it was enjoyable. At the end of the season, we have this football banquet that awards the athletes that deserve these, the defensive, offensive MVP player of the year. Uh, guys are off to, going off to D1 colleges, you know, about to make a, make, make a living, uh, you know, like Texas Tech, you know. And, you know, I'm rooting for these guys because, you know, they're my friends. You know, they rightfully deserve them. 
and I'm cheering them on. But I was a little bummed as well because as I'm seeing these guys get these awards, I'm hurting because I didn't measure up to my full potential that I knew I could have, and it just hurt. Get to the end of the night, and the coach says, before we end the night, I want to award Osvaldo Martinez an award. What? Osvaldo Martinez getting an award? And for all, uh, he says, for all the dedication and work he put in to help out this football program, I want to award Osvaldo Martinez the Bobcat Heart Award. I was awarded the Bobcat Heart Award because though as during the season, I was seen as Oz by all the fans and all the coaches. I was seen as Oz. I wasn't seen as Oz, the man. I was seen as Oz. Just another guy on the football team, you know. They didn't see me as a four-star, five-star athlete. I was more just, uh, he's a guy on the sideline. And as I go up to the stage, you know, I accept the award, and I start tearing up because it was in that moment that, though I didn't have the biggest muscles, I wasn't the fastest on the field, what I was awarded for was my heart. I was awarded for my heart. I'm here to tell you today is what you need to be uh, concerned with winning and going after is a hard word. Because as I read here in 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outside, the enemy looks on the outside, and the enemy will tell you everything you are not, that you don't have the right last name, you don't come from the right family, you don't have the right education, you're not the biggest, you're not the strongest, you're not the prettiest, you're not the most handsome, you're not all of this. But I'm here to tell you that God sees the heart. He looks at your heart because, after all, that is where Jesus starts. He starts off at the heart. He wants to win you. He wants to win you over and love you so much that that's where he's going to go to first. Guys, it starts at the heart. So go win the heart award. Thank you. Thank you. What is poppin' Celebration Church? My name is Brooklyn Clark, and I'm bringing you a message today out of Ephesians. Ephesians is going to be a pretty popular one, this service. We've got three out of Ephesians, so you might just want to hang out there. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, I am less than the least of all God's people, yet God gave me this privilege of taking to the Gentiles the good news about the infinite riches of Christ. Paul, who we all know, wrote the Bible like this, parts of the Bible, says that he is less than the least of all God's people. If God, I'm sorry, if Paul is calling himself less than the least, that is not very encouraging for me, because I'm definitely less than Paul. That's, you know what I'm saying? But Paul was still called to take the good news to the Gentiles, so that's pretty encouraging on the end. I'm here to encourage you today, trust God when you feel less so he can prove you're truly blessed. We, I saw this unfold right in front of me as I started the young adult ministry with my brother, Keenan six years ago. 
Six years ago, Pastor Brandon and Krista had wanted a young adult ministry. Keenan had just moved back from Bible school. I was going to ASU, so it was the perfect combination. We were starting a young adult small group. So we started our small group in the little living room with eight people, including the two of us, so six new people in us in a living room, and we quickly began to grow. We didn't know what we were doing. We're looking at each other with blank faces like, how do you, how do you even do this? How do you get people here? What do we do we didn't know. Word of mouth got us there. 20, 30 people were out of that living room into a new living room where we saw 50, 55, 60 people crammed in to my parents' living room, up the stairs, everywhere. As soon as we could, we got into this building while it was being built. We met in every room you could possibly imagine because they were basically building the church around us. Our young adults was here. So over the next couple of years, we saw so much growth in the small group that we had decided we need to take it into more of a ministry format where we're doing worship and we're not doing so many questions and answer during uh, the sermon. So Keenan and I didn't really know how to start a ministry like that. So we're looking at each other like, what are we supposed to do? And our leadership tells us, you need a leadership team. So we look around us, we raise up all the people around us that are going to help us, and we have our very first Young Adults Leadership Team. So then within our team, we start praying and encouraging each other and dreaming and building a vision of what we wanted Celebration Church Young Adults to be. And we decided that all of us felt like we needed a night where people from all across town could come together and worship together, no matter what church they went to on Sunday mornings or if they went to church on Sunday mornings, if they were in school, if they weren't, whatever, we could all come together and worship God together. That eventually would become YA Nights. But at that point, we didn't know. The first thing about throwing an event, we didn't know how to get the word out. We didn't know how to put a service together or anything. So Keenan had gotten the opportunity to go to a church in life in Austin. And so I went along with him as his little travel buddy like I was. I just tag along with him everywhere. So we went and we're looking around this event. We're like, everything here is pretty perfect. Everything here is working perfectly. We like it. We like the, the photo booths. We like the way the service went. We like the after party. We even like the name. LA Nights is what that was called. So we copy-pasted LA Nights. YA Nights is what we ended up having here at Celebration Church, and people loved it. Our very first YA Nights, the energy was high, and we just continued to have YA Nights. And as we continued to grow our YA Nights, our young adults also continued to grow. We were seeing so much growth in our serve team. We had, ha we had started a serve team, volunteers, that grew so much. And then as we set together as a team and we planned out an entire year of stuff we were going to do, an entire year of YA nights and YA hangs and ministry stuff and mission stuff, well, then we got into quarantine and our entire year was gone. And so then we were on the live stream and we're thinking, was that it? Is that everything Young Adults was going to be? We're seeing our live stream numbers just plummet, plummet, plummet. It's our leadership team in the chat with Keenan preaching in the room. We're just like, hey, yeah, amen, Keenan, you know, because nobody was on. Nobody was on there. And we're just like, Young Adults is over. That's it. We lived our day and we're gone. Well, we got permission to come back and we came back and our numbers were not what they used to be. And so we continued to pray together and we looked to each other for prayer and encouragement. And we came and we met in this exact room and we prayed over our young adult ministry and we said, 
Why, God, have you trusted us with this ministry? What is it about us? And we just all felt like the Lord was telling us that he's just trusting us with this ministry and with our vision. We just need to hold tight and keep pouring into the young adults. So we did. We had another Y nights, and our numbers have just multiplied. We are now seeing 100 to 150 young adults across the room in our young adult space every single Thursday. And the Lord has just shown so much favor, and our vision has just come to life. Well, that's not, that's not it for us. We're not done, so don't think that that's the end of our story. We're still praying and believing for a lot of really, really, really big goals, so keep us in mind there. But I just wanted to encourage you that God took us as kids, not knowing at all what we were doing, and he just breathed life into us, gave us the people around us that we needed gave us the opportunity that we needed, events that we needed to see in order to bring to San Angelo, every little thing that we needed God put into our path. And he aligned it for us because we felt like we were the least of the least. We're like, oh, we're just here. I wasn't even studying ministry at all. Still didn't. But I was just along for the ride and part of the team. And I've got to witness one of the most amazing journeys of my life in this young adult ministry. And right now, you are actually witnessing our promise come to life. Because these young adults that are standing on this stage are not young adults that started this ministry with us. These young adults weren't in the living room of six people. These young adults came with our promise and with our vision later and later and later. So look up and see what God is calling you to the dreams that God is planting in your heart, the big dreams that you look down the road and you think, that's too much, there's no way, God is going to provide a way. Because in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, he who has called you is faithful and he will do it. So what are you dreaming of and why are you running away from those dreams? Because if it's, your, if it's because you're feeling like you're the least of the least, I'm here to encourage you that even Paul thought he was the least of the least. So you are not the least of the least, and God is going to call you, and he's going to show you your dreams. And it might not be here on the stage that your calling looks like. Your calling might look like an office space. Your calling might look like a mechanics workshop. Your calling might look like working at Walmart. Wherever your calling is, that is where God has called you to. And we need people everywhere dreaming and scheming and believing for God's bigger and bigger promises. Because you trust God when you feel less so he can show you you're truly blessed. Thank you. Well, good morning, Celebration Church. Man, it's so good to be here and see you all this morning. I hope you've all had your coffee. I have. I'm a little bit jazzed. Um, but I got to say... Um, my name is Kyle, and uh, I, got, I really got to point out that it is very much different being here holding a mic without a guitar in front of me. Okay, that, uh, I'm just going to say, I feel like I'm up here a little bit exposed uh, without my security blanket. But um, <laughs> uh, let's get started. So if you were following along with Brooklyn, uh, stay right there. I'm going to stay in Ephesians. Big surprise. There's a few of us. Um, but anyway, we know Ephesians uh, now, uh, thank you, Brooklyn, was written by Paul, who was tasked with sharing the gospel to uh, people that didn't know him. In this case, it was the Ephesians. And um, we turn to chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with that scripture. And I think many of us go to that scripture when um, we need to give ourselves that little faith boost um, that God is big and can do miraculous things. Maybe, maybe we need something like, like healing or um, we've got that thorn in, the flesh, in, thorn in the flesh problem sin that we're dealing with or, or some sort of life circumstance. We're familiar with Ephesians 3.20, but I think what Paul was trying to uh, help the Ephesians believe is that it actually goes um, deeper than that. And that leads me to uh, the truth that I want to pinpoint in this, and, and that is that the hardest part about faith is believing God is good to you to you. See, it's not hard believing that God is good. We have the faith to believe that God is good. We know it. We've heard it all our lives, but the hardest part is believing that he wants to be good to me. Now, I know I don't look like it up here right now, and if you don't know me, you probably wouldn't know this, but I actually grew up a country boy. I mean, I grew up in little Rivera, Texas, very rural area. I'm talking cowboy country as they come. And so, my grandfather is what many of you would consider to be uh, probably a, a farmer. He's got land. He's got cattle. Um, and I remember as a kid uh, being around him all the time. And when he was feeling good, when it was a good day, when the cattle were behaving just right, he would feed them uh, something called a range cube. And if you don't know what that is, a range cube is, is a, like a treat item, almost like a dog treat, but for cows. And, and my family and I actually referred to it as cake because it was literally cake for cattle. I mean, they would literally push and shove and fight for this one little piece uh, of a range cube. And there was one particular time that I remember uh, being inside my grandparents' house looking out the window, and I noticed something that doesn't look quite right. The, uh, the cows had actually broken into the backyard. They had left the pasture, were broken into the backyard, and I remember thinking, you know, whoa, I don't know what we're putting in the dog's food because the dog was not that big yesterday. And, I mean, seriously, it was chaotic, and they were running, jumping, tearing stuff up, and I just remember thinking, like, whoa, um, this is a problem. Uh, what are we going to do, and how are we going to relocate several near-thousand-pound animals out back into the pasture? I'm thinking, you know, man, we're going to have to get the whip out. And, and so, but I was wrong. My grandfather begins to fill up this foot tub of these range cubes I was just telling you about, and would you believe it that one by one, and piece by piece, as he began to feed them these range cubes, this reward, this treat, they began to follow him out of the pasture, and it didn't take anything more than that. And the reason I tell you that is because sometimes, sometimes I think we, we, we may approach God's love the same way, that if I can just behave well enough, if I can just be patient long enough, I can avoid the wrath of this distant, eternally disappointed, heavenly being just waiting to smite me. But can I tear down that lie right now? That's a lie from the enemy to hide the truth that God's love does not operate like that. You see, the option was there. The option was there for my grandfather to pull out the whip, to pull out the electrical prod, and beat those cows back into the pasture where they belonged. And see, that's, what I kind of, that's kind of what I want to liken to God's love today. He doesn't do that. God comes near. He comes down. He gives us piece by piece love, grace, mercy, leading us back into the pasture. The same God that leaves the 99 for the one that's lost is the same God that will find me when I'm lost. And not only that, but he wants to give me life more abundantly. He doesn't just want to stop there. He never wanted to stop with just leading me back to the pasture. He wanted me to have more. And other times I think we get this mentality of, yeah, well, I know God's love is big. 
I know it's big. I've heard that my entire life, but it's big, but we get this mentality of, yeah, but it spreads seven billion ways across every person on this earth. And can I tell you right now, God does not love you corporately. He does not love you in a diluted or divided way. That is not the way God's love works. You are able to get 100% of God at the same time that everybody else is able to get 100% of who God is. And that's the truth. That's the truth. And so my bottom line is simply that God is big enough to love you like an only child. You see, it's easy to sing about it on a Sunday, but when we begin to allow God to invade our space on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, we begin to see the truth and believe the truth that Ephesians 3.20 tells us he's capable of doing immeasurably above all we can ask or imagine. He's big enough. He can love you like an only child. It's time to allow him. Thank you. Thank you, Keenan. Good morning, Celebration Church. Like you said, my name is Carson Clark, and we're just going to go ahead and Dive right into the word of God. And so I'm reading out of John chapter 16, verse 33. And that verse says, And everything I've taught you you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have overcome the world. So that brings up a very clear point of truth to me that I will be bringing to you today, and that is Jesus beat it all, even our trials that seem small. And so this takes me back to a very specific point in my life about two years ago, and we were on our way to Youth America, which is no longer a place, but we were on our way to youth camp there in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And um, we, loaded up in our, we loaded up in our church van, me and my friends, and we start on our way, and we continue going. And we drive, and we drive, and what do you do after driving for a while? You stop and get gas. And so our, all our caravans um, stopped, and we stopped at a gas station to get gas. And our driver, who shall remain nameless because some of you respect my brother Weston, but he decided that it would be a good idea not to get gas. And he, we didn't need it right now, and so we all jumped back in, and we continued driving. And we continue driving, and we continue driving, and all of a sudden, we hear the words murmur from the front of the cab, saying, uh-oh, <laughs> we're running out of gas. Um, what? We're running out of gas? He's like, yeah. So he turns to our co-pilot, who shall remain nameless, because Colin and Preslin pick on Kate enough. <laughs> but <laughs> um, he turns to Kate and says, Dude, please look up the nearest town with a gas station. And would you believe, as he says that, the gas light on our church van that gets terrible gas mileage, hauling a bunch of teenage boys in a trailer full of stuff, the gas light pops on. And Cade tells Weston, dude, we are 16 miles away from the nearest gas station. How many of y'all would be in the exact same situation and be like, hey, we're, out, we're, out, we're almost out of gas. Let's just go fuel up and wall. Yeah, makes sense. No. And so, but I would love to tell you that in this moment, I turned into the biggest optimist. I'm like, dude, we're going to make it. God's going to pull us through no matter what. And I'm like, but I wish I could say that, but I didn't. I turned into the biggest pessimist you've ever met in your life. I am tearing up my brother one side and down the other about how he did not get gas. And I'm just so upset. (laughs) I am just being the biggest jerk. Oh, my gosh. I am just being the biggest (laughs) jerk in the world to my brother. And I'm just sitting there pouting and, uh, but uh, (laughs) I'm just sitting there doing that. And luckily, 
I have a friend who is very dear to me, but he is close enough to me to call me out on my crap. And so he is sitting right behind me and slaps me upside the back of my head and says, dude, shut up. We know who is seriously in control of this situation. God is going to pull us through. And I wish I could tell you then that I turned into an optimist. I didn't. I kept being a stinking pessimist. And <laughs> would you believe, as my brother and Cade and my friend behind me continued to pray over our van and just invite God into the situation that the miles went from 16, 15, 14, and so on, 3, 2, 1, as they just continued to pray and bring God into the situation that we went from one mile and then drove into the gas station and we're able to feel up and continue on to our trip. And you know, what I find, you know what I found? I have found that many of us have an easier time believing that Jesus overcame the sin of the whole world than the small things in life we deal with. John chapter 16, verse 33, clearly says to us that Jesus conquered the world. But the last time I checked, the whole world, it includes your world. I don't know about you, but I serve the God who is not only the God of big things, but is also the God of small things. He does both. He cares about both. So the same God who heals cancer is the same God who wants to heal your confidence. The same God who heals leprosy is the same God who wants to help you when you feel lazy. The God of the angel army is the same God who wants to defeat your anxiety. Come on, we know it doesn't only just take faith to walk on water. Sometimes in life, it just takes faith just to pay your water bill. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of living my life full of faith on the front row at church, praising God that he overcame the sin of the world, and then freaking out in the backseat of a church van thinking that God doesn't care about me getting to a gas station. I'm sick and tired of living my life that way. Jesus beat it all. That is the good news. That is the gospel that Jesus did. Jesus, he beat it all, even the small things in life that seem small. Thank you. Good morning, Celebration Church. Happy 4th of July. First, I'd just like to thank pastors Brandon and Krista Clark and Keenan and Beth Clark for allowing this opportunity. Um, so with that being said, if you'll jump over with me to John chapter 8, verse 32. Again, that's John 8, verse 32, which says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom comes from knowing the truth. When I was seven years old, my oldest sister, who was 10, and my younger brother, who was five, would walk home from school, and my oldest sister would watch us until my mom got home from work. Why in the world a 10-year-old was left in charge of a 7- and 5-year-old is beyond me. But let's blame it on how expensive childcare is. But besides the point. So one day we get home and we hear after, of course, getting our after-school snack and watching TV before doing our homework, we hear a, it's red, open up, it's red, open up. Which, to give you some context here, again... Red is the neighborhood tell of a stalker who likes to ride his bike down the alley and choose his next victim of who he's going to kidnap. So for a seven-year-old, this story is terrifying. So in this moment, I'm losing all my cool. I have no cool. It's all out the window. We're freaking out. My sister's like, 
You'll have to hide. You have to hide. So being the smart seven and five-year-old that we are, we run to the nearest place for shelter, which just so happened to be our coffee table, which would have been amazing if coffee tables saved lives. But they don't. It also would have helped probably if the coffee table wasn't made of glass. But once again, not important. So we're hiding under this coffee table, and my sister's like, okay, I'm the oldest, so I have to go open this door and try and resolve the issue. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds so smart. Go open the door to the person who kidnaps. You're only 10. So my sister goes, and she opens the door, and all you hear is ruckus, and then her screaming, and the door slams. So... Me being the seven-year-old, I'm under the coffee table, my five-year-old brother, and I'm looking over at him like, all right, it's your turn. You're the man of the house now. <laughs> Just kidding. I was like, okay, I'm the next oldest. This is my responsibility now. But, Brant, if you want to come along so maybe I can protect you, Brant's bringing my five-year-old brother, and I'm walking to the door, trying to muster up the courage to get to the door, and I'm like, Brant, really, join any time now, any time. And he stays under the coffee table. So I get to the door, and I open the door, and as soon as I open the door, I find my sister and five of her closest friends rolling over laughing. And I tell you this to tell you that I had to take the step to open the door to see what the truth was. And the truth was that red was not real. But I have a better truth for you that Jesus is real. And that the truth of that is the enemy would love to keep you living on regurgitated sermons. He would love to think, he would love to make you think that you cannot have your own personal revelation and relationship with Jesus. And the truth of that is God created you to have divine community and relationship with your creator. He wants to know you personally. And that doesn't just mean the good sides of you, that means the bad. He wants to see it all. He laid down his life so that he could have that personal relationship with you. And with that being said, I just want to remind you here where it says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My truth of who Jesus is, is that he is an amazing savior who died to give me a life and life in abundance. He is the best friend I could ever have when I'm feeling lonely. And he is an amazing father when I feel at lack. But please, please do not take my word for this. And please go find out for yourself the truth of who Jesus is to you. Thank you. What's up, Celebration? Good morning. Uh, my name is Caden Johnson, for the ones who do not know who I am, and I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into Scripture. Jordan, thumbs up. Um, I'm reading in Proverbs 19.21. That's Proverbs 19.21, and it says, You can make many plans but the Lord's purpose will prevail. I'll read that one more time, actually. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will always prevail. So where God calls you, to where God calls, he makes a way. So about a couple years ago, as I gradu graduated high school, I wanted to run away from my small town life and uh, go live the college dream, go live and do what I always wanted to do, go chase that bachelor dream, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and as I was up there, um, I did move up early and started class early, and uh, so one night, anyways, I was um, laying in bed, eating my popcorn on YouTube, and some of y'all know how that goes, and uh, 
I stumble across this YouTube video of this guy flying planes. I'm like, oh, that seems cool. That seems fun. Like, why not watch a YouTube video that's like that? Anyways, but I watch this guy, and this guy has a job. Like, his job is to fly planes for a living. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, who wouldn't want that life? Like, you're literally sitting in the air getting paid doing this. And uh, so ever since that moment, that's all I wanted to do. And as I did more and more of my research, um, I got to, I saw that, like, captain of, like, airline pilots make, like, $300,000 a year. They have all these benefits. They get to travel the world and live, like, this so-called lifestyle, like, picture-perfect dream. And that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted all along. So um, as I'm living out my college years, I'm, I, I dropped out, but, um, <laughs> but <laughs> woo! and um, um, every single day, as I was still trying to get that degree, I didn't know what I really wanted to do in that area, but all I could think about was flying, 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 flying. And um, as a whole year and a half rolled around, um, I, did, I put so much time into prepping for the first day of flight school my first actual day, and as you can imagine, that day, I was so excited. I was so excited. I was so amped up, so ready. I'm like, this is everything that I've ever wanted, and uh, we got up in the air, me and the, me and the guy, um, we got in the air, and he's obviously teaching me how to control and all that, and um, I mean, it was fun, and then um, I remember one moment, I was looking over the beautiful rolling green hills of Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> and um, I really felt like God just told me, he just rested upon me and just said, Caden, this isn't where I called you to be. This isn't where I want you. It's just simple, sweet, soft, loving voice that the Lord told me that. And as you can imagine, just picture yourself in, in that situation that you're midair and you know this isn't where you've been called to be at. You know this isn't where God wants you to be at because trust me, um, his plan's so much better anyways. Um, Again, put yourself in that picture, uh, in that situation right there. You're at your mid-flight. You're in the middle of what your dream is, of what you so-call your success in your own navigation of life. Um, you can be full-blown committed and chasing after what you've always wanted. But let me go back and say that God simply asked me to, or I, as I was asking God in that moment, why? Like, why now? It's because he said, I never asked him in the first place. I never stopped and questioned, God, where do you want me? Because let me tell you, each and every one of y'all in here has a God call on y'all's life, that he has placed you, he has a plan for you, even though you can go your own separate route and navigate your own life. Let me tell you, he's trying to pull you back and saying, come here, child. I want you over here because you can trust me in this, and I will give you peace. I will give you the life that I've called you to, and um, and." He, you just got to trust in him. You got to trust that he has a plan for you. Because let me tell you, and there's some of you in here right now that is sitting in your 20-year desk job and thinking this is all you wanted, but you're miserable. You're miserable, and God just wants you to hand that to him. He just wants you to hand that to him and just allow him to take you where he wants you to go. And let me tell you, he will place your peace. He'll place his peace upon you. And no matter what happens, no matter what the pay is or what the job looks like. Resting in him and knowing what you're supposed to do in his calling is the only calling that you're supposed to be in. But let me tell you, quit trying to make yourself believe, quit trying to make yourself believe that what you call, that what path you set for yourself is actually what God sets before you. It's totally flip-flopped around. But anyways, I'm going to leave you with today is let God make his way in your life and where God calls, he will make a way in your life. Thank you.
What is poppin' Celebration Church? My name is Brooklyn Clark, and I am here to bring you a message out of Ephesians. Ephesians 3, chapter, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 says, I am less than the least of all God's people, yet God gave me this privilege of taking to the Gentiles the good news about the infinite riches of Christ. So if you didn't know, Paul wrote Ephesians. He wrote the letter to Ephesians. So this is Paul who has had the honor of writing a lot of the Bible, thinks that he's less than the least of all God's people. That's like Michael Jordan saying, oh, I'm less than all the least of all the basketball players. And you're just sitting there playing in your driveway like, okay, yeah, sure, Michael Jordan, you're less than the least. But he's, Paul says that he's still been given the privilege of taking to the Gentiles the good news about the infinite riches of Christ. Paul's perspective is that he's less than the least. We all know that he's not less than the least, but he thinks that he's less than the least. So I'm here to encourage you that you need to trust God when you feel less so he can prove you're truly blessed. I've seen this unfold right in front of me in the story and the journey of our young adults ministry. About six years ago, our pastors, Brandon and Krista, had always wanted a young adult small group, something for the people in San Angelo in that age range. And Keenan had just moved back from Bible school in Dallas, and I was going into my second year at Angelo State. And so we were tasked to start a young adult small group. And Keenan was taking care of all of the speaking, and I was taking care of picking up all the chicken nuggets every single week forever. So actually not forever because we did get rid of the chicken nuggets, but we love, we love Chick-fil-A still. But um, so that's kind of what we did. We split up the work. Keenan did all the preaching. I did all the admin, and we took off. We had our very first meeting of about eight people in a living room, and that included Keenan and I. So six people came to listen and, and encourage us, and it was great. We began to see so much growth over the next couple of years. We ended up in my parents' living room, and we fit about 55 to 60 young adults in their living room. It was completely packed out all along the stairs, all along the floor, young adults just wanting that community. So we're looking at each other like, what do we do now? We don't have any more room for any more young adults here. So we moved into this building as soon as we could. As soon as the church let us, the walls were not even up. It was just studs and, and uh, sheetrock all over the place. And they built the church kind of around uh, our young adults group. We moved from here to here to here to here. And our young adults group continued to grow and grow and grow. And over the next few years, we saw that the small group form wasn't necessarily working for us in the way we wanted and we were ready. We were feeling like the God was calling us into more of a ministry form. Less questions during the sermon, more actual sermon, including prayer time and worship, things like that. So we knew, we're looking at each other thinking, we can't do this. It's just two of us. What are we supposed to do? Keenan leads worship and then, and then he does the sermon and then all of these things. And we're just like, there's so much we want to do and it's just the two of us. So we're praying and our pastors told us, it's time you need a leadership team around you. And so we looked around us, found all of our friends and all of our people that the Lord was pulling into our lives. And we formed our very first team for young adults. And as we began to dream about the future of young adults and what we were going to be doing and to impact our community, we all began to get a vision of a night where we could come together 
young adults from all different churches, no matter where or if they worshipped on a Sunday morning, could come together and worship together. That was eventually going to become YA Nights. But we did not know the first thing about event planning. We didn't know what it was to make a service order. We didn't know how to get everybody together and how to make the experience what we wanted it to be. And so it happened that Keenan had gotten an invite to a church in Austin, and I went along with him because I'm his tag-along younger sister. And so I went, and we walk into this event, and everything was exactly what we wanted. The photo booths is what we wanted. The service is what we wanted. The after party is exactly what we wanted. We even kind of liked the name. L.A. Nights is what it was called. So we took L.A. Nights, we copy-pasted it. Y.A. Nights is what we did, and it's what we have we do it all the time. If you ever hear about us advertising a YA Nights, come check it out because it's really awesome, honestly. And um, so we did that in our team. We brought it to our team. Everybody committed to it 100%. We saw our first YA Nights, just the Lord moved, and we were like, this is what we are going to do. So we continued to do our YA Nights every couple months or so. And as we did that, our Thursday nights began to grow. We began to add a serve team, and we ended up just, our serve team doubled, and it was amazing. We were having people wanting to join, all sorts of things. So as we get together, our team, we plan out our entire year of what we're going to do. We plan, we're so productive, right? We plan an entire year of why nights, why hangs, missions, everything that we could possibly want in a year. And then within a couple weeks, we got stuck in quarantine. And so now we're on live stream and we've watched our live stream numbers just plummet. So our leadership team is on there just like, you go, Keenan, good word, because we're the only ones still on there. And our leadership team is separated across town and we're just praying and believing together that God was going to bring us back together. But, I mean, we were sitting there like, oh, man, did young adults have our time? Are we done? Was that all we were going to have, you know, our five years? Was that it? It wasn't. Spoiler alert. But eventually, we were able to meet again, and with some restrictions, we had our very first uh, young adults meeting, and it was way lower than what we were meeting before. It was like 30, 40 people, and we were seeing these low numbers, and we just kept reminding ourselves that it wasn't about the numbers. It wasn't about the numbers. I did go to business school, so I do like numbers, but it wasn't about the numbers. It was about the people and the relationships we were building right then. We were able to have our first Y nights back, and it went off, and bigger than we were expecting, and after that, we saw huge numbers. We were seeing then 100 to 150 young adults on a Thursday night, which is what we dreamed of for Y nights. So every single week we were seeing Y nights level crowds in our Thursdays, and our serve team has just tripled, and we now have people on rotation, which what even is that? They don't have to serve every single week. It's awesome. And so we've just been so blessed. Keenan got married, and our young adults leadership team even expanded even more. We have seen so much blessing. But at the beginning of all of this and throughout, we all thought, we are just these random kids that God picked to lead other kids, our peers, into relationship with God and into their future. What is so special about us? What is so special about us? But we continue to trust in God, and he continued to prove to us that we are just a vessel for him and for his word. We were willing, and we just listened to him, and we took in his word and his vision. And you are seeing this morning 
our promise being fulfilled. Every, every one of these young adults that has come up here and preached and the one that's going to follow me, none of them were here on our very first night. The six people that were in that room, I don't even remember who they were. I don't even remember where they are, but it wasn't these people. These people are our vision down the road. These young adults are our three, four year, five year, six years in dream and promise that God is fulfilling. And he continues to fulfill every single Thursday night, every single time somebody mentions young adults. Somebody had told me after the first service that they were talking about the young adults at their 4th of July party. And I'm like, that is just so awesome. That is God's continued promise in every single moment. So I wanted to ask you, where are you feeling called? What spaces is God calling you into? What dreams has he put on your heart that you feel like are too big and you're running away from them? What is making you run away from them? Because if it's that you feel like the least of the least, Paul felt like the least of the least. We all feel like the least of the least. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, he who has called you is faithful and he will do it. God puts those visions in your heart and those dreams in your mind. He gave us a promise that he is faithful and he will do it. He will help those visions. He will put those people in your lives, those even events in your lives. Things that might seem small are going to prove to be big later down in your journey. That's why you need to trust God when you feel like you're less so he can prove you're truly blessed. Thank you. Good morning, Celebration Church. You guys are having a good one today. Oh, man. In case you, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Brandon. Uh, if you don't know me, well, you're about to. So... <laughs> I actually, I'd actually like to take a moment real quick. I wasn't going to do this before. I'd like to take a moment to recognize the, the amazing speakers that actually came before me. Can we just honor them real quick with a round of applause? Please, please. Ooh. Okay, that's enough. Stop. It's my turn. All right, so, <laughs> well, uh, it is the end of second service, in case you haven't noticed. And uh, I have the mic, so uh, I can take as long as I want. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, I actually don't want to waste, I don't want to take up too much time, so I'm going to drop this message like I dropped out of college, uh, <laughs> real fast. So <laughs> go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. And while you're getting there, let me go ahead and set the scene for you a little bit. So this passage takes place right before Jesus' death. Like, this is the very last thing that happens before he stops breathing. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. And so Jesus, is, he, he's been arrested. His disciples are, are scattered all over the place. He's been falsely uh, accused, and, and he's been beaten. He's been mocked, and pretty much any other terrible thing you could think of has probably done him at some point or another. And after all this, Jesus carries his, his, his cross to the top of this hill called Golgotha, all right? And then he's nailed to said cross, all right? And now, in case you didn't know, back in these days, uh, uh, the crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst, like the baddest of the bad, like it's bad. And so uh, that's how badly Jesus' enemies wanted to silence and, uh, and discredit him, all right? And, and, but Jesus wasn't the only one scheduled to be executed that day. There were two other guys, each with their own crosses on either side of him, and that's where we pick up. So Luke chapter 23, verse 39, here we go. One of the criminals hanging there also insulted Jesus by saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves and save us. 
I'm already in it, so I'm going for it. But the other criminal told the first one off, don't you fear God? Aren't you getting the same punishment as this man? We got what was coming to us, but he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into power. And Jesus replied, I promise that today you will be with me in heaven. I don't know why my version of Jesus sounds like natural Libre, but hey, <laughs> that's what grace is for. <laughs> and speaking of which, you guys know that Jesus isn't stingy with grace, right? I mean, in fact, he literally went around throwing out grace like it was free candy. <laughs> and the best part is, you didn't have to do anything. And the guy on the cross definitely didn't. So about seven years ago, about seven years ago, I went on vacation with my family. Right, we were on a vacation. We were staying in this little town called Junction. Right, and most of you guys know Junction as a place where you stop to get gas to go to other places. All right? <laughs> but it actually has some other stuff to offer. Right, You can float the Frio River, which is what we we're going to do. So we were staying there for a few nights. And uh, since there's like 37 of us, we decided to stay in multiple cabins. All right, there, there, were, there were two cabins. There was a big one and a small one. But they weren't actual cabins because they had like AC and electricity and ceiling fans and stuff like that. So it, it was still nice. Because your boy does not rough it. <laughs> on uh, one of the nights, the AC goes out in the cabin that I'm staying in. Right? AC goes out in the cabin. So everybody decides to cram into the other cabin. All right? Except for your boy because having that ceiling fan blasting was more than enough since they took all that body heat with them. Can I get an amen? They took that, <laughs> they took that with them in the name of Jesus. Mm. So I go to sleep and when I wake up, something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. I'm in pain. All right, I'm in pain. There's a stinging sensation on my back. I'm still pretty groggy, but I reach my hand underneath my shirt and I scratch my back, thinking that my shirt was the problem for some reason, because that makes sense, right? As I'm pulling my hand back, scratch my back, as I'm pulling my hand back, I realize two very important things, all right? Number one, my shirt should not be causing me pain. And number two, my finger feels heavier. <laughs> As I pull my hand back and I look at it, I'm looking at my hands. There's a cockroach half the size of my finger on my finger. Right in front. And then it hits me. And then it hits me. This cockroach, which is currently half an inch from my face, was biting me. It was biting me. So then I fling it as far away from me, as fast as, as far as humanly possible, all right? After I gather my wits about me, <laughs> which took a while, I proceed to hunt this parasite down. Oh, I was, oh, I was livid. The whole time saying some very life-giving, positive, encouraging Kayla things. Oh, man. And upon finding it, I proceeded to unleash the wrath of Brandon on this cockroach. Can we get painfully honest for a moment? We kind of act like cockroaches sometimes. We scurry about in the dark. Avoiding the light of God at all costs, backbiting, pun intended, other people running away from God 
and others, no matter how much they chased after us. And do you want to know the, do you want to know the crazy thing, the craziest thing about it? The crazy thing is that God doesn't crush us under his heel every time we do something wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, the point of truth I'm trying to bring to your attention today is exactly what Jesus displayed to the guy on the cross. No matter who you are or what you've done or what you don't do, grace isn't just for the good. Grace is for everyone. And you might be wondering, well, how does grace even work? How do I, how do I get that goodness for myself? Have you ever tried to just, I don't know, stop running? Stop running from it. Now keep this in mind, grace doesn't cherry pick the people that it saves. Not only will that go against the gospel, but that's not even biblical. <laughs> Whether you want them or not, grace is always running after you. He wants to be face to face with you. He isn't this pot of gold that awaits you at the end of some never-ending religious rainbow that's full of shame and suffering and guilt. No! Grace is more like a golden retriever barreling towards you at a thousand miles an hour with reckless, unconditional love and acceptance in his eyes. Grace chases us down. You only need to stop running. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.